just say welcome, add my welcome to, to Andy's welcome, and say how glad I am to see you. Uh, I've met some folks here that said, well, this is my first Sunday here since I've met you. So, hello, I'm the new guy, and um, so I'm glad to be here. Very, very glad to be here. I also want to send my greetings to uh, our uh, folks who are listening online today, and we we say hello from Gaston First United Methodist Church to all who are worshiping with us today. Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes his name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In 1981 in New York City, a woman named Daisy Fernandez bought a lottery ticket on her way home from work. And she went into her apartment and found her teenage son and his friend Christopher playing games. And she held it up. Look, boys, look what I bought. And her son's friend was named Christopher. And Christopher said, Miss Fernandez, I'm going to pray that you're going to win the lottery this time. And two days later, lo and behold, she did. $2.8 million dollars. And she was promptly sued by her son's friend, Christopher, who claimed that since he prayed that she would win, that he ought to get half the jackpot. Well, the case went all the way to the New York Supreme Court, and Christopher lost. The final ruling said that there was no way in a court of law that they could prove that the prayer was answered. And I want to tell you this morning, I may not can prove it in a court of law, but I have seen answered prayers. Have you? Has anybody else seen answered I have seen them with my own eyes because prayer is a powerful thing. We don't always get the answer we want. Sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is wait. That's the hardest one. But prayer is powerful. It reflects our hearts. Our prayers do. And it's very, very important. So we're talking about it this morning, and we're looking at Paul's beautiful prayer that we just read from Ephesians chapter 3. And before we get to that actual prayer, I want to say something about what I mean when I say prayer. So we're all on the same page. And then I want to talk about Paul's posture as he prayed. And then the four things that he prayed to be read to the churches in Asia. Inside of your bulletin somewhere, there's uh, an outline with a beautiful picture on the back of it. And if you are the type that likes to take notes, I invite you to, to do that and to do the fill-ins. So what do I mean when I say the word prayer? 
Prayer is at its most basic form communion with God. That means talking to God. That also means listening to God. And it sometimes means just waiting in God's presence, just enjoying the presence of God and soaking it in. So it's communion with God. One way to remember what prayer is all about and to, and to make sure that we're covering all our bases sometimes when we pray, you can use the acronym ACTS, ACTS, like the book of Acts in the Bible. And think of it as an acronym. The A would be for adoration. That is, that is praising God, giving praise to God just for who he is. For who he is. Not for what he's done and not asking him for things. Just praising God for who he is. If you have trouble thinking about it that way, then look at the Psalms. Because the Psalms are just heavily weighted toward adoration. Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. And on and on the psalmist goes, just saying how great God is, because God is great. Um, asking God for things comes later. But start out by adoration. Now, that's what Jesus does in the Lord's Prayer that we just prayed. Did you notice that it doesn't start out saying, give us this day our daily bread? It gets around to that. It starts out by saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give credit where credit is due. The C in the acronym stands for confession. Because as we see how exalted God is, we also realize our own needs. We see ourselves for who we are. And we see all this we also see in the Psalms, don't we? King David, after he had his affair with Bathsheba and then tried to cover it up and then had Bathsheba's husband killed and all of these things and was confronted by the prophet Nathan. He fell on his face before God. And he wrote Psalm 51. Go back and read it this week. Psalm 51, where he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And then down in verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. We need to do that confession. It cleanses us from the inside out. That's to see. The T is thanksgiving. Now, in adoration, we give thanks to God for who God is. In thanksgiving, we give thanks to God for what God has done. And God is good to us. Uh, there's my favorite hymnal. is my grandmother's old hymnal. She, she sang out of it so much that it's just, it's just worn and, and almost floppy. And it's got black electrical tape on the spine of it because my grandmother didn't waste anything. She didn't, th she didn't throw anything out either. So it had black electrical tape holding it together, but it, it's, it's precious to me. And in that hymnal is a song that she loved to sing. She sang it all the time. The chorus goes like this. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Do you all know that? Then sing the second part of it with me. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Yes. Now, do I mean literally count your blessings? Why, sure. You know, sometimes when you're having a bad day, I want you to try this. I want you to get a piece of paper, and down the side of that piece of paper, just write the alphabet. And if you're like me, you'll sing it as you write. You know? Write it all the way down the side of your paper. And beside every letter, put something that you're thankful for that begins with that letter. 
okay? I promise you, if you're having a bad day and you start with A, I would start with A and I would say, I'm thankful for Apple and for Allison and for Advil. You ever have one of those days? So all the things with A, and by the time you get to being thankful for zebras and zucchini, your whole frame of mind will change. Count your blessings, not just your problems. Count your blessings. That's the T. Now, S is supplication. That's where we bring our requests before God. The ones that we have for us, the ones that we have for the people we love, we bring them. God wants us to bring our requests before him. He invites us to do that. He invites us to bring our supplications. But don't always skip over the A and the C and the T and just jump right to the S. Okay, so that's what prayer is. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about prayer. Now, notice Paul's posture in prayer in verses 14 and 15. Listen to what he says again. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Did you know the ordinary Jewish posture for prayer was to stand and to hold your arms out, palms up? But Paul said, I bow my knees. I fall on my face before God is really what it means. I fall on my face out of total dependence on God, out of total humility before God. And then he begins with humility and dependence, but he also remembers that he's talking to the Heavenly Father. So this is striking when you think about it, that, that in the Old Testament, God was so unapproachable, that God was so hidden, that God was in the Holy of Holies, and the only person that could go into God's presence, that was just once a year, was the, was the high priest to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But Paul has the boldness to say in Ephesians 3.12 that in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have access in boldness and confidence through faith in him. We are invited to come before him. So two different things are going on at the same time. It's like a paradox. They, it seems like they both can't be true. But Paul is both humble and totally dependent on God and bold and confident because he knows he's talking to the Heavenly Father. Both of those are going on at the same time. And the Father receives our prayers because we're His. We belong to Him. I, I read a story one time that touched me about a sharecropping family. If you know the history of, of our area and in lots of parts of the country, there were sharecroppers who just barely, I'm talking about barely, barely got by, just hand to mouth, just barely making it. This one sharecropping family had five children. The youngest was a boy named Willie, and he was kind of the run of the litter. But the family was struggling, struggling, struggling. One year they had a pretty good year, though, so they were able to save enough money to order some things out of the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Smile at me if you know what a Sears and Roebuck catalog is. For those of you not smiling now, think Amazon, old school Amazon, right? Sears and Roebuck catalog. They ordered, one of the things they ordered was a small hand mirror. Now, this sounds strange to us, but they had never owned a mirror. It was a luxury item. And so for the first time, the children got to see their reflection in a mirror. And so one by one, they passed the mirror around, and it got to Willie. Now, you have to understand, when Willie was a baby, he had been bitten by a dog, so his 
face was full of scars. And when he was a toddler, he'd got kicked in the side of the head by a horse. And so there was a big dent on the side of his head. So when he held the mirror up, he gasped in horror to see his reflection for the first time. And he said, Mama, did you, did you know, have you known I looked like this all along? And she said, well, yes, son. And he says, and you still love me anyway? And she said, son, I love you and I'll always love you because you're mine. Because you're mine. And see, I feel this because sometimes I look at my own scars and I think, God, can you, can you love me with all this? And in the stillness of my heart, I hear those same words. I love you because you're mine. So Paul prayed with that kind of confidence because he knew he was praying to his Abba. He knew he belonged to the Father. Now, what did he pray when he prayed? Again, your prayers are a reflection what's on the inside of you listen to these four beautiful things he prays he prays that you may be inwardly strong he prays that you may be rooted and grounded in love he prays that you would know the love of christ and he prays that you would be filled with all the fullness of god it's startling to remember that he wrote this prayer while he was in prison himself he wasn't in prison because he did something wrong he was he prison for being a Christian and he wrote these pra this prayer to be read to all the churches in Asia notice what he didn't pray he didn't pray I'm praying that everything comes up roses for you and that you don't have any hardship he didn't say I'm I'm praying that you are outwardly successful and have financial prosperity he didn't pray that he said I want you to be internally strong in the, in the classic Greek way of thinking, that would have been internally strong in three different ways. It would have been uh, in your reason. Be, be able to be strengthened your ability to discern what God's will is, which is the right way to go. To be strengthened in your conscience. To be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit showing you when you stray off that path. And to be strengthened in your will. That means to be stronger and more able to do what you already know you're supposed to do. How are we strengthened? In, we're strengthened inwardly by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we're strengthened by participating with the Holy Spirit and doing things that make us strong. You know the things that you need to do to be outwardly strong, don't you? You go down to the gym and you lift weights and or you or you jog or you run, you exercise, you, you eat better, right? You get the rest that you need, you take your vitamins, whatever it is, you need to be strong. Did you know that you can be internally strong too? That's what Paul is praying. That you can do the things that have reliably shown to make you strong on the inside. John Wesley called these means of grace, ways that, that God's grace comes in a special way to make you strong on the inside. One of these, John Wesley said there were five of them. That one of them is Christian conferencing. That would be like small group meetings, classes and bands or what John Wesley called them. We might call them accountability groups or, or Bible studies or Sunday school classes. 
but a group of people that you do life with, a group of people you share yourself with, that share themselves with you, you hold each other accountable, you pray for each other, you ask that question, how is it with your soul? And then he talked about uh, searching the scriptures together. He talked about prayer, the Lord's Supper, fasting. These are just some of the ways. You might, you might do journaling. You might do some other spiritual practice that makes you strong on the inside. Because, listen, we know, don't we, that the storms of life are going to come, whether you're strong or not. Be strong inwardly. Paul said, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. Now, here's how that works. Christ, who is love, dwells in us so that we're rooted and grounded as the Holy Spirit does the work that needs to be done on us. And when agape love is at the root of our lives, then love will be the fruit of our lives. Then people will see outwardly that we are starting to look more and more like Christ Jesus our Lord. If we're rooted and grounded in love, that's what happens. If we're rooted and grounded in something else, well, then that will be the fruit of our lives. I've known people in my life that were rooted and grounded in doctrine, but not rooted and grounded in love. And you could tell it. Those are the Pharisees. I've met people in my lives that were claiming to be Christian, but rooted and grounded in hate. And it showed. But that's not what Jesus intends for us. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And remember what he said would be the fruit. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples when you have what for each other? Love. So Paul said, be rooted and grounded in love. Then he said in verses 18 and 19, I pray that you will know the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ. That's part of being rooted and grounded in love. It's not just who we love, but knowing that we are loved. Because you see, God loves us in a way that's bigger and higher and deeper and wider than we ever really can even understand. If I could tell you just one thing, now I'm telling you a whole bunch of things today, but if I could just tell you one thing ever, it would be that God loves you so much and so powerfully that there's nothing that you could do to make him stop loving you. There's nothing you could do to make him love. He won't love you more if you're extra good. He won't love you less if you're a real stinker. He just loves you. Now, why would that be the one thing that I would tell you? Because if it ever really gets across to somebody, just how much God loves them, it changes everything. It changes how you think about yourself. It changes how you treat other people. It changes everything. There's a, a spiritual retreat that uh, is held at Camp Sumatanga and all, really all over the world called the Walk to Emmaus. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Walk to Emmaus, that spiritual retreat. Many of you have. I'm a big believer in the Emmaus experience in a couple of different reasons. One is because it was so powerful in my life. But one is because I've worked at several of these walks and I've seen what it does to transform people's lives. I really have. Because I see them come to camp 
on Thursday night. And some walks were men's walks and some walks were women's walks. But, but you know, they come in and, and the men, look they look all handsome and together on the outside like everything's going great. But then you find that after you talk to them a little bit that on the inside they're just beat up. They're beat up and they feel worthless a lot of times. And on the women's walk, you see somebody that just on the outside is so beautiful and attractive and they're friendly and talkative. And then you find out sometimes they don't know if they can go on. They're so low and they feel so worthless, they don't even know if they can go on. And then for 72 hours to, to experience the core message of Christianity, which is the love of God in Christ Jesus and to experience the community of other people that are on this same journey with you and to hear lay people and, and clergy talk about the grace of God from all different ways and angles and to worship together and to sing together and to get to know the people at your table and even do silly things together. Then at the end of that weekend on Sunday night in the closing service, all the people who are on the walk, they're called, they're called pilgrims. All the people who go to this camp experience have a chance to say what the weekend meant to them. And almost without exception, here's, here's what you hear. I've been overwhelmed by an awareness of how much God loves me. And it changed me. I'm going home a different person we really know the, how deep and wide God's love is for us it changes us that's why Paul prays that now finally he says I'm praying that you would be filled with all of the fullness of God I can't believe how audacious and how bodacious Paul is by praying I'm praying that you would be filled with all of the fullness of God. Can you even imagine what that would be like to be filled with all of the fullness of God? How much better is that than just to pray that somebody's problems will get better? Pray that you'll be filled. How could he pray something that big? Well, he could pray something that big and that bold because he knows it's not Paul doing it. Paul's in prison. He knows that the one he is asking to do this is able to accomplish, listen to this again, abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. So I want to ask you, what does your prayer life look like these days? What do your prayers look like these days? Are they big and bold? Are they small and wimpy? Would you consider making Paul's prayers your prayers too? See, this is my prayer for me. This is my prayer for you. Not that all your problems will be solved, but that you will be inwardly strong, that I will be inwardly strong. that you would be rooted and grounded in love, that love would be the fruit of your life, that you would know the unknowable, 
And that is how deep and high and wide God's love is for you. And that God would just fill you. That God would fill me with all of the fullness that he has for me. Would you pray that prayer for yourself? Would you pray it for me? Would you pray it for your church? Let's pray. God, what a privilege it is to be able to come into your presence and to bow before you knowing that you love us, that we're children. So God, when we come to you, help us to pray big prayers so that we can see big things in our lives. So instead of praying that everything's perfect, that pray that you will make us perfect in love. Instead of praying that the hardships will go away, that you would make us inwardly strong. And God, I pray that we leave this place with just a little bit more of an idea of how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, as we sing our closing hymn, I want to extend an invitation for you to come and pray uh, in a way that's special. Now, I know that sometimes your knees or your back or your hips won't let you physically kneel before God the Father. But if you want to come and stand, if you want me to pray with you today about something or Andy to pray with you about something, or if you want to grab the hand of a friend and come and pray, I want to invite you to do that as we stand together and sing our closing hymn.